this week on the Backtable Podcast. Well, you know, I mean, I think that it's really important to recognize that the ablation and all these procedures are really should be discussed as a, as a um, multidisciplinary approach. And if you are an interventional radiologist or, or interventional pain working out in the community, it's always good to have a, a neurosurgeon on your side there just to run it through with yeah. them, whether in a formal multidisciplinary approach or not. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable MSK Podcast, your source for all things musculoskeletal. You can find all previous episodes of our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on backtable.com. This is Michael Barraza, returning as your host, recording from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Today, we're going to talk about spinal ablation from the perspective of a neurosurgeon, and I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Nam Tran from the Moffitt Cancer Center. Dr. Tran, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, so you off this weekend? Yes, I was on call last weekend, so this weekend's <laughs> a weekend off. I had last night, but I'm glad to be off for the rest of the weekend. I want to hear a little bit about your practice. Uh, you know, we had somebody else from the Moffitt Cancer Center last week, uh, Dr. Nainesh Parikh, talking about something completely different. Last week, we were talking about, you know, ablation for kidney masses. Today, we're talking about spine. Is, uh, is spine a large part of your practice? Yeah, spine is about uh, 80% of my practice here at Moffitt. Primarily for cancer, or do you do, you know, fusions and that kind of stuff too? You know, my practice will um, it, invariably, you know, I treat all uh, cancer patients. So if we do okay. have sure. cancer patients that come in and that they may have some degenerative disc disease, then uh, I'll operate on that. But I would say that the, the vast majority of the practice is uh, cancer, spinal cancer related. I would imagine in an institution like Moffitt, you're pretty busy. Yeah, it, it's uh, quite a busy practice. Do you guys, is it a training program? Do you have residents and fellows? You know, we have residents from uh, University of South Florida that, uh, who rotate through with us, but we also have uh, two dedicated neurosurgical oncology fellows every year. How long is that fellowship program? You know, the fellowship program is for uh, one year for each of them. And so it's, uh, you know, and, and it encompasses the full spectrum from, from uh, both brain oncology to spine oncology. So focus it back on spine. You know, it's just, I treat a fair number of spine patients, but certainly not the full breadth of, of spine therapies that you offer. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, where this fits into your practice. Could you tell me first about what, you know, some of the, the open options are for treating patients with spine metastases or even primary spine tumors? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that I've noticed in my career that the practice has really changed quite a bit within the past 10 years. You know, while I was in um, neurosurgical training, the traditional standards have always been, if you have cancer metastasized to the spine, it comes down to surgical decompression and probably a pedicle screw fusions fixation just to stabilize the spine. Always very large, uh, very invasive uh, practices. And uh, within the past 10 years, I've noticed that vertebral augmentation and now ablation, it's uh, encompassed more of the minimally invasive procedures and that to patients who were not candidates for, you know, the traditional more invasive surgeries in the past are now candidates. And what, what that's uh, allowed us to do is that it's allowed them to have better quality of life and, and allow them to actually go on to other systemic therapies. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine most of these are for, for palliative treatment. Yes. One other question I had is, you know, because of your background as a neurosurgeon doing both open and, and less invasive treatments, I, I would imagine in terms of ablations, you're probably able to be a bit more aggressive and treat some of the more challenging lesions that non-operative interventionists like myself can't normally do. Is that true? I think that's a big plus of, of having the surgical background. Yeah. 
and that uh, patients who come in who have lesions that are kind of questionable, you know, I'm able to offer them the, the less invasive procedures like ablation uh, or kyphoplasties first. And if they fail that, then I have the option of, of proceeding ahead with, you know, the more traditional uh, spinal uh, surgeries. Do you ever do any kind of like hybrid approach procedures? Let's say like for a cervical spine lesion, you know, just kind of, you know, do it an exposure and then ablation, or is it usually one or the other? No, you know, I, I think that uh, that's a great question. I think that uh, my practice now has moved very much to a, a hybrid procedure. That's cool. Just as an example, you know, in the past, if somebody who has metastatic disease, maybe some epidural extension, you think that uh, you would have to do a, a complete decompression with a laminectomy and then a fusion. Now I can just go in and, and just do an ablation uh, and maybe plus or minus kyphoplasty on top of that, and then just do a uh, pedicle screw fixation and through a minimally invasive approach. And so what takes a um, four or five day hospital stay, prolonged recovery down to um, outpatient, outpatient procedure or, or just an overnight stay only. It's awesome. So just for my knowledge, you know, when you're, you're debating doing uh, just ablation versus an ablation, well, ablation versus pedicle screw or not, which ones are going to need the pedicle screws after? You know, we uh, traditionally think about that as a uh, either a two-column or three-column. Sure. Uh, we think the spine is that. So patients who have primarily anterior column uh, disease, uh, those are very good candidates for just the ablation and, and augmentation. Whereas if they have the posterior column involving the, the facets or the spinous processes, then they do require pedicle screw fixation. And so, you know, as you kind of progressed more toward the minimally invasive option, what have you noticed in terms of outcomes? Well, you know, I think that in the, the short-term outcome, you know, I've noticed that patients get pain relief much faster than they would okay. with traditional surgeries. And I think that that's, you know, the, the data is still coming out as ablation is a fairly new procedure out there. But I think that anecdotally, I mean, it's noticed within our institution that um, radiation oncologists, uh, medical oncologists will often refer patients for these minimally invasive procedures before going on to radiation or, or chemotherapy and because they know that it improves the quality of life and allows those patients to go through the other procedures uh, with much better quality of life and, and less pain. Yeah, that's something we've talked about on here before. We had a radiation oncologist come on and, and talk with us about it. And, and it seemed like the consensus was it's doing this prior to radiation therapy was better than the alternative, uh, you know, doing radiation therapy first, followed by this. Is that, is that your experience as well? Yes, you know, that's absolutely is uh, my experience. And, you know, having been in practice, you know, for, for over 10 years now, you know, I saw when I came into practice, really that's when the CAFE study uh, first came out and that's cancer related to spinal metastases. And, and that CAFE study really looked at whether or not uh, vertebral augmentation, the kyphoplasty procedures were effective for that. And so mm -hmm. prior to that, it wasn't really embraced. And then after that, it, uh, it became embraced. And so the practice changed where the radiation oncologist would send patients to us for treatment first before they, they proceed on with radiation. And now with the ablation coming into, into play, I think we're getting a greater referral for that kind okay. of the neoadjuvant therapy, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So looking at these, you know, I'm curious you know, to get your perspective in terms of uh, lesion selection, like, you know, which lesions are going to be good candidates for ablation um, versus, you know, either a decompression or either operative or non-operative management that doesn't include ablation. Well, Patients who have disease that, that may extend in the epidural space, they may have some mm -hmm. neural compression. Those are, I think they definitely need to be evaluated by an, a neurosurgeon to determine okay. whether or not decompression is uh, required. But patients that, who have isolated disease to the anterior column, 
Uh, I think those are excellent candidates. How do you approach lesions? And I see these a lot where, you know, it'll be kind of in the anterior, the anteromedial aspect of the vertebral body, but there is a, a decent sized extraspinal component. Well, those, um, in terms of treatment for the spinal lesions, I, I feel that strongly that it's always has to be a, a multidisciplinary approach. Okay. And that none of us really uh, practice in a vacuum. And so when they come, my focus may be on the tumor within the spine itself, but mm -hmm. then it incorporates a follow-up with a radiation oncologist or a medical oncologist to discuss the chemo and radiation. Okay. So I'm curious, are you the only person in your hospital who is doing these? No, we have five surgeons altogether, but there are three of us, three out of the five uh, do spinal oncology. Uh, in terms of ablations, do any other practitioners in the hospital do them? Do any interventional radiologists or anesthesiologists or anyone else? Or is it, are they all done by neurosurgery? No, it, it's, um, we have uh, interventional radiology and as well as interventional pain. Okay. So all, uh, all three disciplines will uh, do ablations. So how do these patients get evaluated? Is there a tumor board or something where these patients get discussed? Yeah, typically, you know, they, they end up going through multiple tumor boards. And so Moffitt is set up so that it's a kind of a systems based. And so if you have lung cancer, you're part of the thoracic program. If you have renal cancer, you're part of the uh, GU program. Okay. But they have their own tumor board and then they referred, uh, based on that decision-making, they refer to neurosurgery and we have our own tumor board and that does incorporate all the spine surgeons, the radiation oncologists, and, and oftentimes some, some of the neuro-oncologists. And then we make the decision to proceed ahead with the appropriate uh, treatments. One question that I forgot to ask you yeah. is how you learned to do this. So did you do these in training? You know, no, um, well, I, I did some of the uh, kyphoplasties in training. Sure. And so um, I, I think you just have to keep in mind that, you know, the CAFE study came out in 2010. And so prior to that, the kyphoplasty was not as a popular of a procedure. It was only occasionally performed. And so after that study came out, then uh, people started embracing the more uh, minimally invasive procedures. So that's with the typhoplasty, the augmentation. And then ablation has only been around uh, for spine, has only been probably around for about the last five or six years. And so all that was, uh, was performed here in my practice. Okay. Just I picked it up on practice. The next thing I have for you is, you know, you're the only neurosurgeon involved with the Opus One trial that looked at spine ablations, which adds really some unique perspective already. Could you share any of the, I think that the last update that we had on the Opus One trial, basically what we have seen from spinal ablation, you know, as we got farther out of these patients? You know, we had, uh, I think uh, when you had discussed this with Dr. Levy and Dr. Bagla in the past, I think that was the interim study. And since then, the final study data analysis came out for the Opus 1, and really that concluded all the one-year follow-up on these patients. And it concluded that, that all the uh, improvements that we had in terms of quality of life and, and pain reduction was durable, uh, starting from about three days and extended out to 12 months. Aaron had talked to uh, both Jason and Sonny before we had this discussion and just to, to figure out the best way to go about doing this. And one of the things that they had shared was that you're really interested in the post-procedure imaging of these patients. Is that true? Uh, yes. You know, and, and that's the benefit of working at a, a, a cancer center. You know, I'm looking at this not just from the pain control, but I'm also looking at this as an oncologist, as, right. as a tumor control. And ablation for the spine, at least, it's, it's FDA indicated for treatment of painful cancer-related pain. Yeah. But if you look at it in the, the broad perspective, I, I think we know that, that pain is caused by more than just fractures. You know, cancers can, can stretch the periosteum. They secrete a lot of cytokines. 
And so if, if you ablate the, the tumor and so you destroy the tumor, well, then all those other factors are gone and you get pain control that way. And so indirectly, what essentially what you're doing is you're, you're controlling the cancer. And so that's my kind of my interest in follow-up is that uh, we continue to follow these patients up every three months with uh, serial imaging, whether that's a PET scan or MRIs or uh, CT scans. And we see that patients who have been treated with ablation, you know, there's decreasing enhancement. There's a decreased uptake on PET scan. So it all shows that, that we do get uh, pain control and we do see that uh, there's a reduction in tumor burden at the treated levels. That's really interesting because, you know, I'm used to looking at this from a palliative standpoint, but again, as you said, looking at it like an oncologist, that's different. I'm curious if you think that there is a potential down the road for, you know, an isolated spine metastasis or even a small primary bone tumor, if this is a possible treatment option or, you know, for those patients, if you're proceeding as you normally would. Yeah, I think, I think this is really, um, is a great option for that. And I think that, uh, you know, to really prove that point, I think, uh, we need to start looking at prospective studies long-term studies looking at with a focus on tumor control. Yeah, it might be interesting to look at some different MRI protocols, you know, just look at it like we might look at a tumor somewhere else, you know? Exactly. I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, it, the last one of these I treated was actually a osteoid osteoma, you know, and an outstanding response. I don't, I don't see any reason why it couldn't work for, you know, another primary tumor. Right, right. And ablations, you know, have been, have been used for even uh, non-osseous tumors, right? It's been well-documented for livers, for, for soft tissue. It's like a huge part of my practice. Yeah. So I don't see why it can't uh, be applied to the spine. You know, just the challenge has always been traditionally that the spine is a very complex uh, structure, complex anatomy. And so getting access to it has been a challenge. But, uh, you know, having to, been able to overcome that, I think we should treat it like any other soft tissue. Well, so that's where I think you know, that, you know, your options as a nurse surgeon, you know, not, I'm limited to percutaneous pro-placement, uh, you know, your abilities as a nurse surgeon, I'm curious how you would approach it, you know, these larger tumors that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just treating part of it. I mean, do you try to treat the entire lesion for some of these bigger ones? I think that uh, the, the lesson I learned is early on, I would try to treat just the, even if it's a small lesion within the spine, I'll try to just ablate the smaller lesion. And I found that Patients may do well for short term, but then they, they may have recurrence of disease within that vertebrae later on. And so mm -hmm. now I will try to treat the entire vertebrae whenever they see them. So for large lesions, I try to ablate the entire lesion. Even for small lesions, I'll try to, to ablate the entire vertebrae. And so I would imagine this is probably somewhere you're, you're, you're looking at some of these hybrid techniques where you're you know, part open and part percutaneous. Or how many probes are you placing at a time? You know, uh, typically just only two probes we use two probes at a time, but we may have to reposition the probes to different locations. And how are you evaluating the coverage of the tumor? Medtronic has a nice program that helps us calculate the volume mm -hmm. that we're ablating uh, based on the length of the probe. And so just based on, on that, I um, kind of divide up the tumor into different multiple quadrants or more multiple okay. zones. And that's how I decided on how many zones to ablate. Well, Dr. Chen, what else am I forgetting to ask? You know, what do you think is important to touch on that, that I'm missing? Well, you know, I mean, I think that um, it's really important to recognize that the ablation and all these procedures are really uh, uh, should be discussed as a, as a um, multidisciplinary approach. And whether you're, if you are an interventional radiologist or, or interventional pain working out in the community, it's always good to have a, a neurosurgeon on your side there just to run it through with yeah. them, whether in a formal multidisciplinary approach or not, and uh, run it through and, and, and discuss the case that way. 
you know, I work with uh, the interventional radiologists and interventional pain in my practice at Moffitt, but I also collaborate with many in the community. And so um, they run cases by me. We discuss it as if we're having our own tumor board. We discuss okay. about how to uh, approach it and that uh, I'm there. I now know the patient and I'm there as backup in case th they are unsuccessful or if they're not able to achieve pain, well, then they can proceed on with me. But I think it's a very uh, much of a collaborative approach. I think that's a really good point. I don't think a lot of us out there have that. And you know, I, I think that's something we could all look to see. Yeah. And I think that's something that should be welcomed. You know, I, I don't think that I don't see myself um, as, uh, you know, competing with the, my interventional radiologist or, or interventional pain. I think we're all collaborating. We all have a single goal of taking care of these cancer patients. You know, in fact, in part of my training program here, I have the interventional pain fellows will rotate through with me as well. No kidding. So they yeah. get my perspective. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. Well, Thank you for sharing your time and your expertise with us today. You know, this is really valuable for all of us out there. We don't get to hear from the nurtured and much. Thank you. And, uh, and thanks to all of our listeners for joining us. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at underscore Backtable MSK on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Jacob Fleming, and co-hosts Michael Barraza and Chris Beck. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon with support from Josh McWhirter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Social media and show notes written by Marvie Espiritu and Anne Dang. Administrative support provided by Jim Roy Kennebrew. Thanks again and see you next time.